Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am your host, Ray Arkins. Here we are, episode number 43, and the guest this week is Mike Minnick, the vocalist of an amazing band that is no longer performing called Curl Up and Die. More about him in a minute. And um, did I say episode 43? We're at episode 43, so everybody should know that by this point. Um, Propertyofzack.com. They uh, have been doing a lot of great stuff as of late. Uh, a lot of uh, some interesting stuff's been happening on the site as far as uh, you know, people questioning and having conversations about what journalism means in 2013. Um, I'll let you know. Go visit the site. Search for Fallout Boy. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, check it out. But uh, regardless of how you feel about that particular issue. Um, the site is incredible. Uh, I fully support what Zach does and thinks all of the things that uh, he is attempting to do are very ambitious and uh, he's a very young dude. So it's awesome because you need that drive and passion because um, otherwise this stuff gets stale. So anyways, propertyofzach.com, we are proud to have them. Um, and uh, I hope you have been enjoying the recent episodes. Um, I feel like we're hitting a stride where... I don't have to, I don't know, like convince people to come on the show. They're like, oh yeah, no, I know you do a podcast for sure. I'd love to do it. Um, which is awesome because, uh, it obviously it makes my job easier. Um, cause all I'm doing is basically emailing friends and people, either acquaintances of acquaintances and being like, Hey, come on the show. Would you be interested in this? And, you know, trying to explain what this is, isn't exactly easy if a person has never heard it. But in any event, uh, I hope you've been enjoying the recent shows and uh, go back in the archives. Everything's free, so I'm not charging for anything. Um, and I encourage you to uh, listen to, I mean, all the episodes. Like, I'm proud of all of them so far. Um, there hasn't been one that I've been like, ah, that's not so hot. Because honestly, if it isn't so hot, realistically, I'll, I'll throw it away. And I'll be like, oh, well, that didn't work. Um, and I haven't had to do that as of yet besides one episode because that was just poorly recorded by me. And it sucks because it was a dude that, uh, I know that a lot of you would be interested in hearing from, but anyways, I will work on getting him back on the show. Anyways, um, I want to do another plug. So my old band Taken is doing a reunion show in late February here in Southern California, February 23rd to be precise. Um, it's a benefit show. We're playing with, uh, Hello Goodbye, a band, great band called Limbeck is doing an acoustic show. Uh, another band called Dakota, uh, is doing a reunion show. They were, um, you know, kind of part of the whole power pop scene in the early 2000s, signed to Island Records at one point. Crazy stuff was happening for them. And then, uh, unfortunately they broke up. So, but they're back. And, uh, also a good friend named Roy English, who used to sing for a band called I Alaska. Um, it's a really weird vibe because we are definitely the heaviest thing going on there. But um, regardless, it's for a good cause. For those of you that are familiar with the scenario that happened last summer, um, and I talked about it in the podcast, if I'm not mistaken, uh, a friend of mine, his name is Christian De Silva, he passed away last July, a motorcycle accident. His wife was pregnant with a daughter, and she is being born in February, early February, I think like the 9th or the 10th to be exact. And, um, we're doing a benefit show 
basically to help with all of the costs that it takes to uh, raise a child. And uh, we were, this show has been trying to happen for quite some time, but finally it's getting off the ground. So anyways, tickets, go to theglasshouse.us. Please come out. We've kept the show pretty cheap because we want to get as many people as possible in there. Everything is going to go basically to, once we cover the costs of the venue, everything is going to the De Silva family, uh, and more particularly his daughter, Poppy. So yeah, buy tickets, please. We'd appreciate that. Anyways, Mike Medic. So he, I don't even know where to begin because I've known this dude for, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it at the beginning of the podcast, but I've known him for years. And, um, you know, when you've known a person for as long as you have, uh, you know, for a long time, uh, sometimes it's it's kind of difficult to put everything in context and be able to kind of walk them through their lives because, you know, you know most of it already. But um, a, a few weeks prior to Mike and I recording this show, um, you know, him and I had been communicating a lot recently because I was going through some difficulties with, um, you know, my grandmother passing away. And uh, I don't know, we just, we've always leaned on each other when uh, kind of tough times happen. Um, but then he shared a story with me that um, I thought that would be very compelling if we were to record this conversation, um, which is exactly what we did. Um, but he's such a great friend and I'm very glad to have him in my life. Um, I know that's really sappy and I probably shouldn't be gushing too much about him, <laughs> but in any event, um, we talk about, uh, our, our first connection together. Um, just like how we, you know, sort of related on that level. Um, and then he talks about, uh, some severe issues that he was going through as far as depression, um, and, uh, addiction and a lot of the stuff that, uh, kind of correlates with that. Um, so I encourage you, I mean, even if you have no idea who curl up and die is as a band, um, I really think that there are so many relatable stories and, uh, ultimately Mike is where it's, is where he's at in his life. Um, because he's, you know, kind of pulled himself out of a lot of the things that he was involved in for a few years. Um, and it's awesome. I just, you know, I was really glad that he wanted to document this and kind of put it out there because, you know, it is a personal thing and not everybody is like me who's willing to kind of open up everything about their life. Um, but yeah, Mike was gracious enough to want to do this. And uh, yeah, we talked about Curl Up and Die and all the fun times that uh, were encapsulated there. And um, yeah, so here we are. Here's the interview and I will talk to you afterwards. All right, cool. Uh, I'll do it this way. I'm putting the dogs in her crates with peanut butter. Those are peanut butter. That'll be cool. <laughs> nice. So they'll just be like chowing down the whole time. Yep. They get scared when uh, when I worked at home. They would they would like hang out in their crates in the same room where I worked, and we do like voice like video conferences. Mm-hmm. And they get so weirded out and like sad about that. <laughs> They're like, "Who are you yeah. talking to?" Uh, just like Dave and those guys when they were in New York. No, no, no. I'm I'm sure your dogs were saying like, "Oh, who are you talking to? Like, what? What can't we uh, be a part of this?" It, yeah. <laughs> they, yeah, I don't know what. Like, they would just like kind of whine, and I thought, I was like, "Oh, great." <laughs> 
Well, I, I'm 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 glad that we could do this, Mike. Obviously, I've I've had you I've had you on my mind for a while, but I think this would be uh it'll be fun, and I hope you uh I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I might too. I'm ready. It's very exciting because I was thinking about it the other day, and we were like, well, we kind of like we would always be in like touch, you know, but yeah. then we kind of like emailed back and forth a little bit, mm-hmm. like talk about records and comics, and then I was like, that's cool that we like I kept that dialogue. Yeah, with you, well, like you and Joey. Yeah, well, I think it's. It, I, I was I was reflecting on our friendship and how long we've known each other, and like the. I mean, I think we first started talking to one another. God, I want to say it was like ninety eight, probably. Something. Yeah, yeah ninety eight. Because I think I think I said that Taken officially started like two thousand seven. Although the the timing is is not or not two thousand seven ninety seven. <laughs> the timing yeah, is yeah. the timing so is. Yeah, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> but the, I think, like, honestly, you were the first person that I really can remember in my life that was like, you know, I, I mean, I remember us like talking on the phone, you know, or like we, we started becoming friends and like, you know, just kind of bonding over obviously like singing in bands and, you know, just general shit. But yeah, totally. We were like, our bands basically would do the, like, through the steps, like pretty much at the same time. Yeah. Even though differently. Totally. I just, I remember because I think, I don't know. I, there's obviously something that's so inherent with like, you know, being a dude and expressing your feelings and like not feeling comfortable. Like, you know, most guys, like they don't feel comfortable with that. Like that's just obviously like part and parcel of like the male experience where it's like, you know, I can't say I love you to another male or whatever. Like he, he obviously it's becoming yeah. less and it's becoming less and less as time goes on. But I just always remember like the, like, like I said, you were the first person where it's like, I felt like from a dude perspective that I could always re- like, I could just, you know, open up to and not feel like I could, like I had to not say certain things too. you know what I'm saying? Where, yeah, yeah. And it was just, it was strange. It was strange and cool to have that experience where it was like, oh, wow, like I can talk to a guy about, you know, everything from, like you were saying, you know, just whatever, playing in bands and what it's like to be a vocalist and then all the way up to, um, you know, just emotions that we're going through and stuff like that. It was just, uh, I, yeah, I just being like a, a person, basically. Yeah. And like that age. No, for sure, for sure. And like, I mean, to your point of like, you know, staying in touch and just like, cause obviously the older we get, the more difficult it is to maintain friendships over long periods of time. But, um, like you said, just like at least being somewhat present in someone's life, that's like, I think that's all that anybody can, you can really do. And then once you do jump into, you know, any sort of like regular correspondence that there's not like a there's never any sort of like awkwardness, you know, you can just like jump right back into it and act like you were when, you know, we were 18 years old or whatever. Yeah. It's like, yeah, the, the same thing usually with family. Yeah. But, uh, it's a, yeah. I, I talk to you more than I talk to half the guys in the band. <laughs> Actually, I think I talk to you more than everyone in the band. Matt might be close. Right. <laughs> which is I know which you is know, it's definitely funny that that was like the case for both of us where we just felt like we gravitated towards one another and was like oh yeah like we can confide in each other and obviously go through the same shit that we're going through you know yeah definitely 
<laughs> um, so the, obviously the simplest place to start is always like, you know, born and raised. Like, were you, were you born in, in, uh, in Las Vegas and did you, uh, come up there? Yeah, I was, I was, weirdly, I was one of the few people in Vegas that was born there. Mm-hmm. Around like people that are our same age, right? Like it's in the early eighties. Uh, yeah, and I was I was born there and raised until all through until I moved. Right until you moved to like, Chicago. Yeah. The the one question I always get every time I tell anybody I was born in Vegas, like honestly, that like even though Vegas is is a pretty big city and obviously like known worldwide there's not many people that are like born in Vegas. Like you don't hear that often. And anytime I tell anybody that they're always like really taken aback. They're just like, what do you, what do you mean? Like no one's like, no one's born there. Like no one gets raised there. You know, I don't know if you've ever, if you have the same experience where people are like, I mean, obviously a lot of people you're surrounded with were all from Vegas, but I just always find it weird that people can't wrap their head around the concept of like growing up in that city. Yeah, no, that's, uh, even even I was stumbling when you first said it because I was trying to think of another person that was that was born there that I knew, even though I lived there and everyone around me lived there too, but everyone else had moved from California, New York, Utah, and I I only have one other friend I can remember that was born there. Hmm. It was like really weird and unique, and most people think Vegas. Yeah, I'm sure you heard this a thousand times because you were born there. And, but were you, were you live on the strip? Were you born in a hotel? Like that sort of thing. Right. So it's like, it's like, how were you born there? And then, and then do you live in a hotel? Right. (laughs) That's true. I know. Like people can't. And then I always obviously back that up with just like, Hey, like there's suburbs, like there's a city that exists outside of what you know is Vegas. Like, cause that's all people experience. Like they go to Vegas and obviously they spend, you know, 98% of their time on the strip. And then like maybe 2% of their time, like in the original downtown Vegas. Yeah. But it's like, it's like if I asked you, if you are someone born in, in like Orange County or, or California, if they, if they live on the beach, right. almost. Yeah. Someone in New York, uh, was born in Times Square. Right. We're like, hey, were you <laughs> were you born in the Statue of Liberty? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I just well, I'm glad I'm glad that someone else obviously has the same continual experience of like, oh, you're born in Vegas? Like, what what do you mean? <laughs> it, uh, you were born there, right? Yeah, yeah. Or did born. you? Like, holy I'm, crap! Okay, that's insane. I thought. All right. Yes, I thought you you lived there. Oh yeah, I was a kid for a while. No, no, yeah, I was born. I was born there, and then lived up there until because my parents got divorced when I was like four-ish or so, and then lived there for a few more uh-huh. years until my mom got remarried, and then we moved out to Southern California. Like when I was, I, I was like seven and a half, eight. So, I, I mean, I, I can't really sit here and claim like you know, born and raised in Vegas because I wasn't really. I was raised somewhat there, but. Yeah, I was, I, yeah. you know, I still... That's, and that's probably why we get along so well. Dude, and that's why, like, I, mean, I, I so remember when I got so excited that I started to find out that there was, like, an actual scene in Las Vegas when both, you know, uh, Curl Up and Die and Faded Grey started to, like, make a name for themselves. Like, I just was, 
I, I was ecstatic because I was like, oh, I always, you know, wherever you're born, you obviously feel like that's your home and like you always have a kinship. And I just remember, um, re- you know, I, I can't remember if I contacted you guys and Faded Gray at the same exact time. And then, you know, Faded Gray didn't respond right away and you guys did. And I, I think it was Jeff, your original bass yeah. player. But um, yeah, like, so, you know, b- before we walk through your own individual experience, as far as like, you know, high school and being raised there and stuff like that, did, um, because there, uh, there's no scene out in Vegas, like, and you guys essentially tried to build it on your own. Like, you know, would would you agree with that? Yeah, we kind of, we were getting into hardcore. Like we were all already had like been influenced by punk and then started finding hardcore at the same time that we heard about Tomorrow's Dawn, which was Faded Gray. Uh, that's their first band, basically. Tomorrow's Dawn became Faded Gray. Mm-hmm. It's almost all the same members. Uh, and then there was like a punk scene, and there have been bands like here and there, but nothing, nothing really. There was like a band, Bubba Fett Youth. Uh, uh-oh, what's that rock band? Slaughter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Never in there. But otherwise, it's just dead. Like, you would just go, you would see, you would see bands that come through occasionally, and then the local bands that played there, but the local bands just played in Vegas, or like Vegas and California, but I don't know of any bands up until Tomorrow's Gone and, and then us that were touring mm-hmm. that were from Vegas. Right. And like, you, and- uh, you know, like playing out and. Right. It was. But you guys, I mean, you had to, you know, like, it's obviously a very foreign concept for people that are growing up within the age of the internet where it's like, you know, it doesn't matter where you're from. You can obviously get your music out there, you know, as quickly as possible. But like the idea that, you know, you, you know, you guys had to essentially started to play, like play shows in Vegas and like actually make people in Vegas care about you and kind of, you know, find places to play shows and like, you know, cause nothing was stable there. Like that's what I always, you know, found so awesome about what you guys did and what, you know, Faded Grey did where it was like, all right, well, I guess we'll just kind of build this on our own. Yeah. I mean, maybe it goes with, for the most part, Vegas is, it's like almost remade. Like every 10 years, 20 years, like it turns into a new thing almost. Like, like the buildings get tore down and they do like a new phase. Right. You know, like even old downtown is mostly new stuff or new versions of old stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's almost, I feel like that's kind of what happened with at least music that I was experiencing then. And I mean, I don't know what it's like now. Right. But yeah, like it was weird. We just like created, we started playing shows doing what you wanted and then it turned into a thing i think we were basically just trying to have fun you know right yeah it wasn't like it wasn't like this you know you guys and the rest of the people that were you know playing in bands like sat down and created a a business plan to take over the las Las vegas nightlife i I mean i don't don't know if it would have happened i think like I, i really even though i don't want to live in las vegas anymore i'm proud that i'm from there Mm. and that i grew up there because I don't know if I would have been like I would have went through all that if I lived in New York or Chicago or LA, right? Like, because we had to like really find, find, create it. 
So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, that I think, it, yeah, like I said, I just think I I thought that was really cool because like so many bands are able to exist in their city and like plug themselves in immediately. Like, you know, obviously being from Southern California, like we could, you know, we could plug into local venues that already existed before our band existed. And like, you know, I mean, you guys could do that as well, but the all ages scene has never been the focal point of what Las Vegas entertainment has cared about, yeah. you know? And so like you guys had to figure it out. <laughs> and I just always found that. Yeah. You see like, like Elks Lodges or, yeah. or, like makeshift venues or desert shows. <laughs> yeah, that uh, dude. I'm glad you mentioned the desert shows because I, I loved always hearing. I mean, we taken never got to play any of those de- desert shows that you guys threw together. But I always remember you telling me about those, and I was like, "That's fucking awesome!" Like, you tell. I mean, t- tell me about what you guys would do to like put that together. Well, we just because uh, like a lot of uh, just like those reservoirs to prevent floods mm-hmm. and to contain all that water uh, all surrounding like that like kind of circling the city like outside of it mm-hmm. in the desert uh, so we didn't like create this idea there was like punk bands we would see they would take a generator and then go to the desert play like three or four bands and then we would go and see a show and just like put their cars there and turn the lights on or rent lights <laughs> I generate and play. Yeah. And we did a few of those uh, early on, I remember. Just, uh, yeah, just doing it. Generators would break and they need to be doomed. So the cops would come immediately over. I mean, you to like a house party or something. Right. Weird. I almost forgot about it until you were talking. <laughs> no, the total, I, I did too, but I just remember, I remember hearing that. Like, it sounds so it sounds like something that obviously happens in like this, like in really small towns. Like, you know, you see it out of like a, a fucking teen movie based in like Ohio where it's just like, Oh yeah, let's go see the band by like, you know, the well or whatever. And like, you, yeah, you guys are doing it in Vegas, like, you know, with the, the glow of the neon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess it's all the venues are like, you know, 21 and out most. Yeah. Like, you had no choice. Yeah. Um, so as you, as you were raised in Vegas, like what did your, uh, what's your family structure look like? You know, like what did your, uh, what did your parents do for a living and brothers and sisters and all that? Um, I have one sister that's two years younger than me. Um, my parents were together for a while. Um, my dad, he did like random odd job things. Mm-hmm. He, he, he did manual labor for like a casino, but then he messed up his back really bad. Mm-hmm. So he couldn't do that anymore. Like growing up, I remember my dad working here and there doing stuff. Mm-hmm. He was building ultralights. Uh, Cause my grandpa did like ultralight. No ultralights are. No. Like, what is that? Airplane. It's like a, how do I describe it? Have you seen Howard the Duck? <laughs> yes. Okay. You know that uh, you're not gonna remember this. Uh, ultralights like it's an open body plane. Oh, okay. Why it's, they're like you can. They're like a, You could basically assemble yourself. It's small. Oh, okay. It's like one or two people. Uh, anyway, in Howard the Duck, there's an ultralight. So is it is it kind of <laughs> like is it kind of like a glider in a way, but motor like yeah, powered yeah. by a motor? Like it ha- yeah, it has motor. Got it. And uh, anyway, so my grandpa he would give lessons on those as like a tourist thing. Okay. Uh, on the dry light beds. Uh, so my dad would build those. 
for him as a job. My mom is a cocktail waitress. Mm-hmm. Most, most, most of her life. Oh, well that, that's pretty, up. That, that's, that's pretty Vegas oriented. <laughs> yeah. Like that's how my, my mom and my, my dad met. Like my dad wanted a drink. Oh, and there was my mom. <laughs> oh wow, that's that that is very that's classic Vegas, man. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I feel like it's like a scene when they when they were talking about it, or or just growing up. Uh, that movie Hard Eight, right. it, like the first Pete Anderson movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it kind of it kind of felt like that. My mom kind of looks like how Gwyneth Paltrow looked in that movie. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That's funny. But yeah, so grew up with them. We grew up pretty poor. Uh, like I was in trailer park until but your parents I mean, your, your parents your yeah. parents were obviously like like you said they were they were hustling they were trying to you know make your guys's lives as comfortable as they could within their means right yeah they, i i think they're really good parents uh they even though you know like every parent makes mistakes or they have their own problems mm-hmm. and they didn't get along really i think they're together more for me and my sister mm-hmm. like as we got older, um, yeah, so it's pretty, you know, two parents, two kids. Sure, pretty sort of pretty standard from that perspective. But did then as you started to, uh, you know, go through school and like inner high school and stuff like that, did you, uh, you know, like what, what kind of kid were you? Did you find yourself fitting into certain groups or your interests lying somewhere? Or how, how did you, how'd you find yourself so far? Uh, like as a, as a as a young kid, I was really outgoing, mm-hmm. and like, and even in school, uh, until high school, I was kind of like the class clown, and okay. I would never shut up or like try to get attention or sure. like goof off. Like probably more how I am with you, like when we're just hanging out now. Right. Like I just talk and talk and talk or goof off. Uh-huh. Like everything's a joke. Uh. But for some reason in high school, I got really insecure and shut down. Mm. And then I got like this crazy stage fright problem. And I don't know where it came from. And then, uh, like I would, I would ditch class mm. when I had to do a report or anything. So I could avoid it. I just wouldn't do the work just so I wouldn't have to like speak in front of class. Interesting. Like, oral report. Right. Yeah. I don't know. And it kind of, I don't know if the band helped fix that. Yeah. Uh, or what, but. Well, no, I definitely, I remember, yeah. I remember when I first, when I first met you and got to know you where there was, um, it, it, I don't know if I would, like, I wouldn't call it like you obviously weren't introverted because like no introvert could get up there like with any level of confidence and do what you did. <laughs> but like you were, the best way I could describe it was like, I guess you were bashful where it was like, you know, you, you enjoyed playing in a band, but, the attention that was, you know, given to you, like, you know, either before or after the set was like, you know, you were just kind of like, okay, like, I don't really need that. Like it was, it it was like a level of just like, that's cool. Like, that's fine. (laughs) You were, yeah, yeah, it was just, it was, it was interesting. Obviously, like you said, as you uh, grew and, you know, played more shows and did all that, then it, you know, definitely made you come out of your shell more and be, you know, yeah, it's more just by repetition. Like I remember being terrified playing mm-hmm. our first shows, and uh, like if I get nervous, I sweat a lot. Right. And I remember like playing one of our first shows, and in between a song and 
of the kids in the crowd just going like, oh my God, you have like, you just baloney stains. And I got so nervous because, and then like I couldn't talk the rest of the show. It's so stupid, but it just like, I was always feeling weird about it and they got called out. So then I got extra, extra nervous. Right. Uh, but the first shows were terrifying, but I just kept pushing myself to do it because I had no choice. Like once you're there, you have, you know, you just have to go through it. Right. And then that just kind of created a repetition. Right. That's why when any any kids ask me about that stuff, state pride or anything, I'm just like, you just got to do it. And then you're used to it, and it won't. It'll feel weird, but you'll know. Like it becomes like, become like an engine, or you know, just like a repetition. Right. Right. No. <laughs> That's funny. So like as you you. you as you were going through high school, like the, the introversion just completely set in. Was it like freshman, sophomore year or was it later like junior, senior year? It was like, I think it was right before freshman year. It switched. Uh, I don't know if people just scared to go to school. And it's weird because junior high was way worse for me than high school. Oh, really? Yeah. Like I went to, I went to like a pretty... Not nice, but yeah, I guess like a nice high school, mm-hmm. like nice for Vegas standards. Right. It wasn't like a private school or anything, but uh, like both went to my school. Most of the parents had money or lived like middle class lives. Sure. But junior high was mixed and the school was in like a bad part of town mm-hmm. and they would mix up the kids uh, and just send everyone from different areas to like make up school, like the sixth grade center. And then you went to junior high for seventh and eighth. Mm. Like it was weird. I don't know. I don't know if that's the same in California. Yeah. I mean, typically speaking, it's like, yeah, seventh and eighth grade is like junior high where your classes start to look more like what a high school would. But yeah, but yeah. So that's interesting. That is like, so your junior high, you started to, you started to maybe go more inside yourself than be the sort of class clown you were in elementary school. Yeah. Like I'll goof off, but then I, I fought a lot in junior high. Like fist fight? I remember I was like, yeah. I would like fight kids cause they like bully me or, or they were just being kids, you know? Right. Like I remember going in the bathroom and this dude making me gamble with him. <laughs> Random. And like, he basically just took $5 and he was like, big and huge and I was just like alright right. I was like alright I gotta get back to class and then I remember another time this dude started talking like shit to me mm-hmm. in the bathroom and I started fighting him and then like turning this whole thing with kids running inside the bathroom right because like, they want to see like the fight just like chaos and yeah uh, and high school there was some of that but not, not as much right so did you when you were when you were because I I find it very interesting like I've never fought my entire life I've I've and p- yeah. partially just because I confrontation you know freaks me the fuck out but like did you when you were fighting like you know and got the courage to you know take on these people that were bullying you like was it just like blind rage or was it like this calculated like oh, I better do this in order to impress somebody uh no more just like being terrified yeah. That's like the only option you have. Like, yeah, like fight or flight sort of thing. Got it. And I remember learning a lesson, like, this, uh, I was playing flag football. Mm-hmm. Um, and this really big kid just kept, like, pushing me. 
like during PE, like the ground and the grass. And uh, he's like really big, and he might have like he's gonna end up being like a gangster. Mm-hmm. Like he had the the Nike like shell tops with the high socks and like the Dickies cut. Oh yeah, like Mexican gangster, like sure. cholo dude. Right. Uh, so he's just like bullying me and kicking me to the ground, and then I swung at him and I missed, <laughs> and just like me on the ground and started like stomping me uh-huh. and and i remember in my brain I, I, I was just like oh i'm getting beat up now i'm gonna get beat up i've never been beat up before uh and then i was like oh well i guess i'll just keep fighting then <laughs> and then i ended up like punching him in the nose and it bleeding him and he just like stopped and i was surprised and i just remembered that but like i don't know it doesn't matter once people are hitting you it's <laughs> just like Right. Keep keep going, I guess. There's no point. Right. You're I remember, like, like, there's no way out, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> you're just like, I'm just, I'm just going to keep doing this. Like, it's so, <laughs> it's so funny hearing you say that because it's like, you, you totally always have been, like, you know, like a, a spark plug, like the, the type of person that's just like, you know, will always have the energy to kind of like go above and beyond. And it's just funny hearing you describe that because it's like, oh, yeah, like I can imagine you doing that. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. Like, cause everyone thinks I'm uh, like I'm re- I'm I'm really in this person. I think like mm-hmm. uh, like I'm aware of it. Uh, so then when people that know me for a little bit but don't know me as long as you do, right. and then something like that happens, they're like so surprised. I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, I guess. I just I'm just scared. Yeah. So when did you, uh, when did kind of independent music come into your life? And like, when did that whole, um, you know, world start to open up to you? Pretty young. Uh, I, I remember my, I, I have an uncle that got me into punk and he was like more like an older cousin. Cause he was like 10 years older than me. Mm-hmm. And he was my, my dad's half brother. Okay. And, uh, so when he was in high school, I was about 10, uh, like eight, eight to 10. And he was, he got me into skating and punk music. And I just like looked up to him and idolized him. He was like my cool uncle. Okay. Like he played here at Joe's with me and he got me into that. Nice. And just like a lot of the things that I got really into mm-hmm. like as a kid. Like I remember he'd take me skating with his friends. And they they made the the San Francisco Giants ball baseball cap. Mm-hmm. They all wore it because they were in a they're in a skate crew, uh, and it was called Team Fiend because they all loved the Misfits. Okay, and had like devil locks. Right. I think that like my dad's in the Bay Area, so that's why. And, and my uncle is he's he's born there. Okay. So that's obviously when they got it, and then they would turn the S and the F into a, a T. The S and the T, the CF. And I think that's why I left the Giants. That's why I picked them as a baseball team. Right. When I got into baseball later on. Right. Because like no one, no one like told me like what team to like. Right. Or well, and yeah, you know. and you're. Fr- I mean, obviously, being from Vegas, like there's no professional sports team, so you got to figure out. Yeah. There has to be some yeah, like, tr- tracing back somewhere. That's funny. Well, then especially if you're that young too, where it's like you just start to see like, oh, there's a crew of dudes, and like they're pretty cool, and they do this like cool active thing that of course you're going to gravitate towards that 
Yeah, I just remember because his wall, like my uncle's walls were just filled with like posters, skating and just like, mm-hmm. and and music stuff. I remember the first time I heard The Clash and I saw like the, the Nervous Breakdown 7-inch. Right. My uncle had and all the Misfit records. I thought the Misfits were the coolest thing ever. Right. Because the records were so creepy and uh, it was just, I don't know, probably yeah. just because my uncle liked it so much. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I just remember sitting in his room, right, listening to those and seeing them for the first time. So, so he kind of he kind of opened up the world to you. And then, when did um, you know, when did you start to kind of you know what uh, experience shows on your own and stuff like that, and going to the? I presume you would probably went to a, few, a show or two at the Huntridge Theater in Vegas. Uh, no, it's like first shows, seeing my uncle's band or going to shows with him. Okay. It was kind of like, it was like a blessing and a curse because he got me into punk, but it was like really specific and fine-tuned to what he liked. Mm, yeah. So so when I started liking other things and branching out, I felt like guilty for no reason. <laughs> right. You were like cheating like, on him? Yeah. Like I remember uh, like by the time high school came around, like all my friends like Pennywise, No Effects, and those bands, uh-huh. and I was like, "That's not like the Clash or or my threat." <laughs> right? Because like it's weird, and it was basically my my uncle's opinion, and not mine. Mm-hmm. And then I had the same problem with hardcore. I started getting into hardcore, and it was like more metal. Uh-huh. But I I didn't like my uncle didn't like metal. So I thought he would just make fun of me for liking metal. <laughs> so stupid. That's hilarious. Well, I, I was I like an insecure little right. kid, you know. Well, yeah, you were looking. You were looking to him for the guidance and acceptance, and then you felt conflicted when all this new shit was being introduced to you. So that's that's funny that you were like wrestling with this in your head, whether it was okay or not. Yeah, and it wasn't like uh, that's why I didn't like rap at first. I like I love rap now. Right, you're, you're, you were playing catch up. Yeah, just because my mom was scared of it, and then my uncle didn't like it at all. He just liked punk. Right. There was no room for anything else. Yeah. <laughs> it's it weird. I had to, like, relearn that. <laughs> That's... As, I, as I grew older, it's okay to, like, become myself. I think some of the things that I found out about myself initially, uh, I, like, really embraced because I didn't like them because of anyone else. Mm-hmm. Like I did on my own, like baseball or whatever, like specific books or, or whatever. Right, right. That's interesting. Um, and so then did you, because like you were saying, once you became sort of, you know, intro, or, you know, you retreated inside of yourself, like more in high school, The obviously the idea of singing for a band is pretty terrifying. So like, why did... Why did that come into existence? And did you did you play in any bands prior to Curl Up and Die? Like that? yeah, like uh, yeah, I was terrified. Like I never tried singing or or yelling. Um, I just I played guitar because my uncle played guitar. Dude, you're, so and, I got a guitar, and your your uncle was the he is a tattoo artist. Am I right or no? No, uh, he was in band. Uh, like it's in local Vegas bands. Got it. Okay. And and he owns he owns a guitar shop now, like a, a big vintage guitar shop. 
Got it. Vegas. Okay. And so you, uh, so anyway, sorry. So you were you were saying that the uh, you were yeah. So terrifying. like I, I was left-handed, and I and I like play guitar. Uh, I wanted to play guitar because my uncle did, and I loved Nirvana at the time. Uh, so I got like a, a black Strat, and I had my uncle like flip the uh the whatever things at the top. Oh yeah, the head the headstock. I'm clearly like really. I really know guitar. Yeah. Uh, but so I played, I played it like upside down, but the string flipped. Okay. Um, so I did that and then started punk bands of like kids that I went to school with, which ended up being with Matt. It was in Co-op and Die. Uh-huh. Uh, and then we were in a band called Shelf Life. Oh, okay. I remember, I remember Matt, you telling me about that. Yeah, and then, like, I kind of quit that, or got kicked out, I don't know, like, something like that. Probably kicked out. Right. Uh, and then they started, like, a new band, uh, and then, like, I was just singing mm-hmm. in the band, just for fun, and that ended up becoming cool and died. Right. And, that started, and that's why, like, it started off as a joke. Mm-hmm. Like, we were just playing it, like, on the side for fun. It's like a more chaotic band, right. I guess. Like, I don't know, but it just kind of accidentally happened. Right, right. And then, and then, curl up and die, named after a local hair salon, actually became a band and started to put out formal releases and such. Yeah. Oh, uh, I don't know if I ever told you this, but the guy that ran curl up and die, yeah. Um, Matt's girlfriend was like getting getting her hair done. Uh, she got her hairdo there, uh-huh. and uh, like they like they were like, making fun of her and telling crap about us. So it got back to us. So I made fun of them in an interview. Uh-huh. I was just like, "Who cares? No one wants to like like pay so much to get dreads." Blah blah. blah. I just made fun of it somehow. Right. Somehow, like a throwaway thing, but it was like in an, an interview. Mm-hmm. Like the owner like wrote me. Like this really long email, and it's like so hurt, and he supported me for so long. Like I never met him, and I felt really bad. But <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. It was kind of crazy. Right, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and and the joke for the, the you know thousands of people who have no idea what we're talking about. Curl up and die was a local hair salon in Vegas uh, that you know was curl up and die like D Y E as opposed to D I E. And so that's yeah. that's where the name is derived from. But you've answered that question. Yeah. You've answered that question in a million interviews, so we won't talk. About yeah, that. which are clearly, yeah, I just did not <laughs> love, and I still am like, uh, yeah. but um, the uh, uh, there's also one other distinct memory that, like you were mentioning at the the very beginning, where both of our bands were coming up at the same time, and like we essentially had a lot of this like same sort of career paths. You know, and I use the word career paths like in air quotes because obviously what yeah. we were, what we were doing wasn't a career, but <laughs> the same trajectory. Yeah, trajectory. Better, better way. Um, it was so strange just because we were both of our bands were so intertwined with one another that basically anytime you guys broke off and did anything on your own, like when you you know whatever whether you were playing you know Hellfest on your own or whatever when you were doing these things on your own. Uh, like I was so jealous, like just 
<laughs> just straight up, like, you know, because I, I, I think you guys played Hellfest in 2002 or can't remember the year, but where you played it and like, you know, like I, I was, I was just there because I, I can't even remember why I was there, but I was there. And, um, I just remember, like I said, every, every like success that you guys had, I was like, oh man, I want that. Like, <laughs> it was just, it was so, I mean, it, it, cause you're a kid and you just look at, you look at that and you're like, yeah, no, it's the same thing. I like, it was like closely intertwined. So I remember like, if you guys got a cool tour, I'd be like, damn, what what did we get on that tour of you or right or especially you 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 played in Japan like a few times yeah I was like that's what I always give you crap about I know I was like next band I start is gonna have a Japanese name when you're here in Makoto <laughs> of course I was like so I can get to Japan too <laughs> right <laughs> uh, yeah but I had this, I had the same feeling so. yeah and I, I mean I think that's like because you know people always talk about the even though we are an independent music and like you know uh, making money off of you know your independent band at the time we were doing it like that concept didn't really exist but there was still that level of like you know competitive nature where it's just like you were happy for your friends as they were successful but then there was also that and it was more so just like internally where you were jealous because you're like i would like to do something fun like that yeah you uh i i think at least, at least for me, where that came from was we can tour nonstop, mm-hmm. so that already like limits your opportunities. Uh, and you guys were kind of the same way, right? So, so maybe that was a big part of it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that we got like, this one shot. I'm like, <laughs> right? <laughs> like the summer really has to go well, right? <laughs> yeah, like these these three months that we're gone, like this is gonna kick ass. It yeah, ha- it has to. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, you seem to, uh, you know, when obviously the countless times that we toured together and then just, you know, as I kept in touch with you when you were doing tours, you know, when we weren't touring together, you seem to, you know, be, exist in the touring life, like pretty okay. Like it wasn't your, you know, like maybe it wasn't your optimal environment, but like you did all right with it. Um, which I don't know if that was just you trying, like suppressing those feelings of like sort of you know, either anxiety or whatever. Um, like, do you look back on those times and like fondly, or are there a lot of times where you're like, Oh man, this is fucking tough. Uh, not like towards the end, it got tougher, even though we were more used to it. Mm. But I, I was, I was pretty good at it usually. Cause I, I didn't have a girlfriend ever on tour except for, except for when we went to Europe. Mm-hmm. So that was never an issue. The main thing I missed about, like, away from tour was my dog. Like, when I call my family mm-hmm. to just say hi, the first thing I would do is, like, how's my dog? Is my dog okay? And my sister would be like, my, my sister and my dad, like, oh, nice nice to hear from you, too. We're doing well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm like, I can talk to you. I can't talk to my dog. So that was my big stress. But, yeah, I adapted to it well, I think, and I, I just really wanted it. Like, I didn't care about my jobs that I would have when I go back home. Right. You know, so. Yeah, so you were like, you just kind of adapted to the mentality and you were like, all right, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and do this. Yeah, and like, one of my favorite things about doing the band or things I got from it is I know a lot of what America looks like mm. in the sense of like the cities and different areas and different countries. And I think that, like, gave me some skills 
I don't, I don't know how to define, but I feel like gaming skills, like just, just like taking the world, yeah. appreciate some things a little more, be a little more understanding, maybe. Right. Well, I, th- I th- yeah. Well, I think it gives you the way that I've always looked at it. It's like it definitely gives you more of a perspective. Like you either, um, yeah, yeah, you you understand people more because you've interacted with so many different people. Like you know, either promoters at the show or kids at the show or whatever. And you just, even for that brief moment of, you know, you staying at the person's house or, you know, just seeing the, you know, eight blocks around the venue, you just get a little glimpse at what it is that that life looks like for those people, you know? Yeah. Um, and so the, um, like, obviously, like, you know, Curl Up and Die, you know, started to come to an end in the, you know, early, two, well, mid-2000s, I guess we could argue. Um, and yeah. so, you know, the... Uh, there was a moment where, you know, like as you obviously as the band started to wind down and you started to kind of like, you know, figure out your options and figure out, you know, what you were going to do with your life. And, um, you know, you, like you, we mentioned earlier, like, you know, now you're, you're in Chicago and you work for, um, your good friend Dave's company carbon made. Um, and so, but there was obviously years in between there where it was like, it, it's, it's hard to transition out of, being in a band for so long and then like what do you do with that like where do you yeah. where do you go from there so like you know how how were those you know how are the, how did those struggles like play itself out within your life and like you know how you ended up in chicago and all that type of stuff like you know do you, do your best to walk me through some bits and pieces of that uh well, we, we broke up i think i was ready for it even though i didn't want it because mm-hmm. i was just exhausted from a starting and stopping and like yeah that's true fighting over what tours to do uh but like me mainly like me and see the drummer so then like spin we did not see eye to eye and he was becoming less interested and he was the one we were waiting for the whole time mm-hmm. to tour like Chris he was in school uh, I remember, I remember when we, we quit, like, just being kind of bummed on music and hardcore. Right. Um, and I think at first I thought maybe because it was the rise of a lot of bands getting, like, mainstream exposure mm-hmm. and being more, like, cookie cutter or, uh, some bands, like, yeah, you know, like the singing, screaming, I don't know, uh, you know, you know what I mean, like, yeah, this is different, I'm sure every person gets of age, gets to a certain age, and it's like, oh, this new stuff's not as good, but I like some of the new stuff, I just think I was done with it, because we broke up, that's how I dealt with it, right, I was just like, turn away from it, uh, yeah, so then, I, I mean, I thought I would just like, write, or write comics, I like some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's work jobs here and there. Kind of just floated around in Vegas right. that direction. And then uh, my friend Dave, who did Dave Gorham, who did all the artwork, mm-hmm. Club and Die. And my best friend, he lived in Chicago. He moved there, moved here like maybe two years, three years before I did. Mm-hmm. 
And I was like, well, I'm not in a band, so I don't have to live here anymore. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I don't want to. Right. I'm not attached to this you know, place. So, yeah. Uh, like, the main thing that took so long is, is my, I don't want to leave my dog. It's too old to take. Right. Uh, which kind of messed me up once I decided to move to Chicago. Right. Because I, I moved here. Uh, I moved in with Dave and a couple people. Um, and and uh, pretty soon after I moved here, I was like, I feel good about here. Mm. And then my dog passed away. Mm. And it was like my, my first dog that I had my whole life. Right. And I don't know, like, I, I'm like, like, I get more sad when dogs or animals, like, you know, like, die or you can't, I don't know, I feel more empathy for them. Sure. There's pain or weird. And it's all my brain. Like, my dog just thinks that. Like, dogs, they just... Oh, no, yeah. They're ready to die. Right. <laughs> like, totally. Okay, I'm old. Right. This is what I'm going to do. Right. But, like, I create this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got really depressed when I was here. Right. And I felt like I abandoned her and all this, this weird stuff. Really? Uh, so, you, yeah, you were just... You were internalizing a lot of... A lot of your dogs passing on with, with you know, all the issues that you were going through at that time. Yeah, and then I came here, and I was I was working. At first, I was working nights, mm-hmm. uh, four days out of the week, and then and then day wait. No, yeah. So at first, I was dog walking, which made it miserable once my dog went away. Oh, that's true. Oh, brutal. I was walking other people's dogs. Yeah. And I would do that during the day, and it was it was my first winter here, uh-huh. and then I would work at a cafe. And I was doing some of those three days a week. I was doing both jobs, and then, but then I was working seven days a week, no matter what. Right. And I've never, I'm, I, I never had like an alcohol problem or a drug problem. Yeah. Like I would do stuff sometimes, like after I grew up a little bit, I was like, okay. Uh, and I, I hate, I like hate that stuff. Right. Like, half the Chrome Night songs talk about, like, people using pills or, or drinking or any of that stuff, you know? Well, yeah, uh, and, and especially just to put it in context for everybody else, too, because a lot of, I mean, Vegas is obviously always attached to, you know, all the vices you could possibly want in the world. So it's like, not only were you surrounded by it, by people that were involved in the music scene, but you're surrounded by that because it's on every street corner that happens in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, and then... I mean, uh, my dad had a problem with alcohol and then pills because, like I was saying, when he hurt his back, that just caused pain that he had to find ways to deal with. Like, first alcohol, then he quit alcohol. Mm. And then he had a surgery on his back and then his doctor gave him pills. And then it was too much and then he had to quit, you know. So, um, I hated that stuff. But so... It was like not an experience in my life, but the dog had died. I was working nights, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. And I would drink when I got home. Mm-hmm. So I fell asleep, and then I would just like sleep until I had to go to work. So it was just like, was, like working. Vicious cycle. And, yeah. And then that eventually turned into like a couple random jobs, just like rotating, but I was still working. Right. Almost nonstop. <laughs> then I started taking. Uh, like painkillers, like mild ones, uh-huh. 
just to not be exhausted. Right, to, like, get you through. I was, yeah, I was just, I could just do this, like, a little bit. And I, I didn't, like, use it to, like, I didn't use it to get high. I think I had a problem or anything. Right. But then it turned into a problem to, I got a bit, like, physically addicted to it. I couldn't quit. Uh-huh. And I couldn't make work to bit. So I stuck. Right. But the so, thing I did, like, I just in your in your, control right in your yeah in your own head like were you like did you recognize within yourself that you couldn't control it or was it one of those things that it just you know it just kind of made sense to you at a certain point uh i mean i didn't i didn't even know you could withdraw like you had to go through withdrawals you would get addicted uh-huh. physically so then i would stop i ran out Mm-hmm. And then I was like getting aches and pains. And I was like, holy, holy shit, this is crazy. Right. Uh, so then I was taking, I'm trying to like taper off. Uh-huh. And then I'd be exhausted, so I would just do it. And like, oh, I was like, it's pretty exhausting because that was like happening for a while. Right. And then I was like starting to not care about things as much. My brain wasn't working as faster. Uh, but eventually, like, I, I just, like, I was like, I gotta stop this. And, like, my job started getting a better situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I just withdrew from it. And, like, it's so, I mean, I've only talked to you really about it. Yeah. And, like, a couple people here. Because it's, it's, like, really embarrassing for me. Well, because no, I hate that stuff so much, you know? No, no, I know. But, it, it, honestly, just because, like, I've, I mean, just because I've known you for so long and just like, he, you know, hearing you deal with what you're dealing with, like, I, like, I don't care who you are or how strong you are when you're put in certain situations where it's like, you know, you were, I mean, you, you were burning, not only were you burning the candle at both ends, but you were, you know, you were directionless. Like there were so many things that obviously weren't working in your favor. And when you look at something where you were just looking at this thing as like a, a tool, like you were looking at the, you know, the alcohol and the pills that you were doing to just kind of like push you through. Yeah. And like, I don't care. Then, I mean, I don't care who you are, like, you know, straight edge, not straight edge, whatever the case may be. Like you can't look at that and not be like, like, Oh, I, I understand where you're at. Like I, I get, I get where your, your brain goes to that place, you know? Yeah. It just started like I thought, at first, when I I wouldn't drink at all when I was younger, uh, like younger by like early twenties, uh, because I didn't I thought because my dad and mom had alcohol problems that I it was just in my it was, that I would just have a problem with it. But then I was pretty good at controlling it. Or not. I didn't need it. I would just do it sometimes for fun with people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then I got here, and the stresses and it turned into a thing. And I was using it just to like, keep going <laughs> and not be, and just to not feel exhaustion. Right. Or I don't, or to fill a hole. I don't know. Yeah. Like, well, you, yeah, but, it was like a, it was a battle. Like you could, you know, maybe your, your brain, you were, you were able to justify, like you didn't look at what your parents experienced and what your parents went through as, as equal to what you were going through. Like, you know, you kind of looked at this as like, like, like I was saying, it's just a tool. Like I'm just using this because, 
I'm in like, I'm in this shitty situation of working seven days a week, like fucking night shifts, like inhuman stuff that no one would want to do. So you weren't equating the two. <laughs> yeah, I was working, I was working like a minimum wage job, <laughs> another crappy job. Right. Uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty bon- Like I can pay rent and stuff. Right. Uh, but anyway, like, so that happens a lot, but then I, I just stopped and I went through and then, I mean, I'm 31 now, so I was like turning 30 and I wanted my brain to work really well. And I knew that as you get older, mm-hmm. stuff starts slowing down. Right. I've seen so many people, like, you know, I'm sure you see, like everyone sees their friends or family or peers, uh, just kind of like give up on health or caring about caring about like a lot of things. Yeah. Like, and I, just, I didn't want to be that person. <laughs> so right. I just made, I started running like on the day and then I was a vegetarian and then vegan on the weekend. Mm-hmm. And then after I met, well, was that like a year ago? Mm-hmm. We were in San Francisco. That's when I decided to be vegan like full on. Nice. And then started, uh, yeah, and just just started like messing with raw, right? Uh, just like trying to be healthy, like my brain and my body. Right. I don't know. I'm still, well, still really good now. Oh, I know, which is awesome, and like that's I mean that's what you know makes me really happy about your journey. Not only because you were able to obviously you know turn away the you know the 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 demons that you were dealing with like you were obviously able to recognize that within yourself and sort of, you know, make a turn. But the, the fact that you can look back on that time and like, obviously recognize, recognize how that impacts your life now. And like you were saying how you want to make yourself better, because I do, you know, like all the conversations we've had recently with, you know, uh, you know, like obviously like my grandma passing away and like all these other, you know, real life things that we all deal with where, it it is easy as you grow old to become apathetic. Like that's the easiest route. Like, you know, I just don't have the energy. Yeah. I don't have the time. Like there's, there's fucking 9 million excuses of why people don't give a shit anymore just because it's easy. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, I don't know what that is. And I have nothing against drinking at all. Yeah. Like the people uh, drink or do, do drugs. Like I think there's like a place for Right. But, for me, it's just, it's not, I'm just like not interested in it at all. Mm. And, um, and I got sick of people coming to visit here or friends I had. And when they want, like, the only thing they want to do is go to a bar. <sighs> sure. Or like, go drink. Right. You're like, can't you think and of I, something I, more creative? I don't want to do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think that's what, like, you and Joey Kale from... Six on three on records. Yeah, I guess uh, like a, a friendship kind of is like stayed strong is because like when you guys came here to Chicago, you guys don't want to go to a bar obviously because you don't drink. <laughs> but right. You guys come here like let's go to museums, let's run around the city, let's go try places to eat, and like that's what I want to do with my life. I want it. I want it to be positive and full of cool things, and I still want to care about. Things that I, or like fight for things I care about. 
yeah. like animal rights or doing, if I think something is wrong and believing in it and sticking by it, they're just going, oh, I'm getting older. Right. Oh, I don't, I, I haven't had my fifth cup of coffee today. I can't handle that. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I think, I think your, your, your message and your story, like, you know, that I think that can resonate with anybody because I don't care what, what age you are, you, there, there comes those, you know, turning points in your life where it's like you have to make, you know, really life altering decisions. But ultimately, as long as you keep that sort of, you know, spirit of either curiosity, energy, whatever adjective you want to use to describe it, as long as you keep it, then, you know, that that will serve you for years to come. Like you were saying, like, you know, you want to, you want to experience those things. You don't want to just be, you know, lazy and complacent because that's, you know, I think, I I think that's obviously synonymous with a lot of the, you know, human experience where it's, it's easy to not care. It's much harder to care about something. Yeah. I mean, when people, when people say, Oh, I'm old, you know, I'm old now. I'm too old to give a shit. I'm too old to to care. Right. Like whether it's going about their job or like having passion or pursuing like a passion or, or, or anything. I just, you're not, and you, these are usually people around our age. That's the like thirties. Right. So like you, you're not even like, you even live half your life. Right. Yeah, dude, you were like, so, why, right. Do you know we're living longer these I days? Hate that. Yeah. I hate that focus on like once you're past out of your twenties, like, I don't know. It's like, I don't know if it's like a cultural thing with the youth. America or something, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know. I no. can't wait to get old and keep living life and experiencing days. Totally, all it's a gift. It's not like yeah, I don't know. It's not a birth if, if you don't want it to be. No, no. I mean, your your point is completely valid. And like, yeah, like, time is the only thing that we can't renew. Like, it is not a renewable resource. We can't fill it up like a gas tank. We have to, we have to use it you know, because it's a, a finite thing. Like this is something that we are all ticking away. We're obviously all growing closer to death than life. Like that's a reality, but it's all in the attitude in which you attack it. And it's not the whole, you know, obviously the idea of like the PMA positive mental attitude that, you know, that's like a, you know, a sort of a cheesy buzzword these days and like not talking down on it because obviously that is a very great way to approach these things. But you know, approaching it with a sense of uh, weight to it that like, okay, like I can't be positive all the time because like, that's just, you know, I got to dwell in dark shit because dark shit happens, but that you can pick yourself up and be able to still retain that, you know, energy that you were talking about. Like, that's just, that's just something that you you need to hold on to for as long as you possibly can. And hopefully your whole life. Yeah. And then just, oh, I think getting of yourself is almost a machine. Huh? Um, like science, and then I don't uh, with just the food stuff. Yep. Like stop eating crappy food. Even though I was vegetarian, I still eat crappy food, and I started eating good food. I started exercising on it, and I just felt amazing. Yeah. Like it's it's weird out. It's the small. It's it's the change. It's the changes that you don't think about until you actually do it, and then you're just like, oh, like I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, it's like, it's, it's weird. 
but it should be normal. <laughs> right. No, it, it, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Well, for the sake of uh, time, I won't take up any more of it. But um, yeah, I honestly, yeah. Not, not only as a interview subject, but as a friend, I really appreciate you opening up and talking about this because I think I, I, people are so compelled this in this culture that we live in now of like honesty, where it's just like people are able to kind of, you know, talk about shit that they deal with because that, you know, for every one, you know, for every one person that shares their story, there's a hundred people that either don't have the vehicle or, you know, courage to admit things. And so it's just, you know, I was really glad that you were willing to talk about all this and I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're my friend, Mike. Yeah, no, definitely. Me, me too. Good. Oh, I'm glad you're my friend. Okay. <laughs> I love you, man. Say it like, like Six. between two men. Exactly. I, and I love you. And well. I don't feel like some dude in a truck is going to punch me. <laughs> <laughs> no exactly well yeah th- I, I I appreciate your time and uh, yeah thank you for this there you have it everybody um, I was really excited to bring everybody this episode obviously just because uh, it was nice to be able to speak to a person openly honestly I mean obviously Mike and I have been friends for years and years and years um, but you know he didn't need to trust me to do this so uh, he put himself out there and I hope that you appreciate and enjoy that um it's real talk friends real life we can all learn from one another and hopefully support each other and uh, make each other better human beings in the process you know that's what this whole human experience is all about at least the only thing i've learned anyways uh check out propertyzack.com visit 100wordspodcast.com and uh i wonder who actually listens to these last few seconds of the show i know i don't i totally drop out so i i could just be talking to absolutely nobody which is fine these things happen. So anyways, until next week, be safe.